0: Um, I'm going to be reading from Revelation chapter 3 this morning. That's where I'm starting. Revelation chapter 3, beginning with verse 20, and then going down to the end of the chapter. These are the words of Jesus Christ. Behold, I stand at the door and knock... says to the churches. Some people dream about what it would be like to meet the President of the United States. And I'm not saying that everybody has that dream, but some people (laughs) dream about meeting the President of the United States. I know this because I read an article recently about a young man who very much wanted to meet the president and wanted to go to the White House and was unexpectedly invited. He received an invitation. And so he went there and he was able to not only just meet the president, shake his hand, but actually have a little bit of a conversation with him. And It's always an experience to meet someone like the president who is endowed with a good deal of authority and power. So you can imagine that this experience did make quite an impact on this young man, which is why he wrote about it. But imagine what it would be like if you were meeting the president and he invited you into his Oval Office and close the door, and it's just you and him, and he says to you, take a seat, and you and me are going to run this country together from now on. That would probably be quite a shock, to say the least. It would be for me. And if it sounds like a fairy tale, we should really consider more carefully the words that I just read when Jesus says, to the one who overcomes, I will grant the right to sit with me on my throne. We are all of us, as Christians, called to be a royal priesthood. And I believe that these words are true. That we are called to live and reign with Our Lord Jesus Christ. But as astonishing as this offer from God is, what's even more astonishing is how many people care next to nothing about it because they are clinging to their own poverty stricken ideas of what freedom and leadership are all about, what it means to be free. What it means to rule. In the world's dictionary, freedom means doing whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it and not having to face any restrictions or friction from anyone or anything outside of yourself. That is freedom. So having everything you want, the car you want. House you want, the family you want, the job that you want, or if you don't want a job, you don't have a job. And that's freedom. And likewise, when it comes to leadership, what is leadership? Well, leadership is having the authority to tell people what to do. People who are beneath you and people who have to listen to what you say. That's being. A leader. And when we move from these concepts to the concept of servanthood, that's considered the opposite of freedom. To be a servant and have to submit to someone else's authority, to have to sacrifice your own desires to meet the desires of others. And that is the mode of life that many people, if they had it in their power, I think, would most likely be to reject. But what are God's thoughts? And how does Jesus Christ rule? And if we go to the book of Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul gives us some insight into this mystery. Philippians chapter 2, I want to read verses 6 through 11. The Apostle Paul speaking about Jesus, he says, Who though he was in the form of God, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And so we see Jesus, who is the supreme shepherd, Of God's church, and who is the greatest leader that the world will ever see, humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. And that is how he led. And how many of us would imitate him if we were in his position? The Apostle Paul tells us that he left. Heaven, if we had that power, if we had that glory, if we had that authority, would we set it all aside and come to this place to serve people who would mock us, spit on us, and kill us? Is that freedom? And yet that is what Jesus did. As I quoted from Mark chapter 10 a couple weeks ago, He did not come to be served, but to serve. To give His life as a ransom for many. Why? Why would He do that? And I don't think there's any irreverence in sincerely asking that question. Because it doesn't make any sense. And if we feel comfortable with it this morning, it's likely to spring from the fact that we are so familiar with the story that it no longer strikes us as it should. But the author of Hebrews gives us a very important clue as to the reason for the Son of God's radical sacrifice. This is what he says, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What I want to draw our attention to right now is that phrase, for the joy that was set before him. America, I'm told, is out of shape. That we are a country that struggles with health problems. and These health problems are even trickling down to the youth. They are also out of shape, not in the shape that they should be. But there's one man here this morning who is doing his best to correct that problem, at least least in regards of some of America's youth, and that is Coach Gage here. Um, Coach Gage is the football coach at ICS, and you need to know that football is not a compulsory sport At the school, you don't have to do it. Nobody's going to make you. So if you want to play, you do it voluntarily. And so you voluntarily choose to, every day of the week, be physically tortured and beaten down by Coach Gage. And... It would be a sight to see. I haven't actually watched a practice yet, but I think I would like to. I've heard practices from my classroom, but I haven't actually watched one. Why do these young people do that? And really to answer that question, at least those of them that have any sense, the reason why they're doing it is for the thrill of taking that leather ball from one side of the field to the other in the end zone. And when you see them and they have the thrill and the joy of scoring that touchdown, it begins to make sense why they would put themselves through that. And what I want to stress this morning is that when we as Christians talk about taking up our cross, we need to be doing it, for the same reason that Jesus took up His cross, for the joy that is set before us. And perhaps if our ancestors had never sinned, it would be possible to have the joy without the cross. But being as we are, the road to freedom leads through suffering. And this means understanding that if we want to grow into this leadership that God is calling us to, that I talked about at the beginning, reigning with Christ on His throne, we need to change the way that we think about what it means to reign. We need to understand that when the wise and the prudent of this age tell us, that leadership and servanthood are opposites, that they are speaking against the truth that is revealed to us in the New Testament, which shows us that leadership and servanthood are not opposites, they are the same. We do not deny ourselves as Christians for the sake of self-denial. But because we believe by faith that obedience leads to a full life. Not just that we will experience after death, but in this world here and now. Take a look, for example, at some of the staggering promises Jesus gives to his disciples in Matthew chapter 18. Sorry, Matthew chapter 19. This is the chapter in which Jesus encounters a rich young ruler and challenges him to give up everything he has to become a follower, and he walks away sorrowful. But then, verse 27, chapter 19, Peter says to Jesus, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake, and here's the promise, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Think about it this way. Who is more powerful? The man who can only be happy when he gets exactly what he wants, or the man that can be joyful in any situation whatsoever, regardless of the circumstances. If you had your pick this morning and someone said you could either always get exactly what you want, when you want it, or... You can always be joyful no matter what situation you're in. Which would you pick? George McDonald once said to have what we want is riches. But to be able to do without is power. And he also mentioned that when we're young and in church... Some of us can remember asking money from our parents so that we could put something in the offering plate. And I've alluded to this before myself. But he expands on this idea and he says, what God gives to us to put in the offering plate, so to speak, is ourselves. God gives us selves that have wants, desires, and ambitions. And what we do is we give it back to God to put on His altar. And then what He gives back to us is something more glorious than we can imagine. Because if you think about it this way, if God is truly the supreme personal being, He is the wisest, the best being that there is, it would make sense to want what He wants It would make sense to have that desire to be in perfect harmony with God's will and seeing that it's only when we have submitted to God's will in this way that we will truly experience what it is to be free. Not when we live by our will, but when we live by the will of another. That is what sets us free. That is what makes us the kings and the queens Of the kingdom of God. A reality which any of us can begin to experience at any time. If we will just surrender our lives to God. And I know that this sounds a little bit like foolishness to some. To those who knowingly or unknowingly worship selfishness or money or whatever else. But like anything else, I believe a sensible person will put it to the test. I mean, we can form some hypotheses here this morning that I think will give us some real insight. If we will just take the time to think about it. What man is likely to be the true leader of his household? And what I'm talking about is a man who is likely to be seen by his family as being a good leader is it going to be the father who insists on his own way all the time who lords it over his wife and his children demanding difficult to please is that the father who's a true head of a household or would it be the father who realizes that being the leader means serving his family Which are the children, which is the wife more likely to respect and love as a leader? Or you can think about it in terms of work. What kind of boss do you want to work for? One that never takes your interests into consideration? One that just rattles off commands and just expects them to be obeyed unconditionally? Do we want to work for someone like that? Is it likely that we will love and respect someone like that? And I think when we... Put our minds to we can see that the world ship's idea of ruling falls apart. It doesn't work. Today, Pastor Bill wanted me to talk about the qualifications of being a leader here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. And I wanted to start off first and foremost by saying that there's only one person who's perfectly qualified to be the leader of this or any other church, and that is Jesus Christ. Whenever we think about leadership, that has to come first. He is the head of this and every other church. Secondly, I wanted to remove a possible difficulty that sometimes... You encounter when you speak about leadership, and that is, I think that there's still too many Christians who make too sharp a distinction between the pastoral staff of the church and the congregation, in that they think that the pastors are called to a different standard of holiness, you might say, than the rest of the congregation, and we need to know that that is not true. We're all called to follow Jesus. And what the Bible does teach in the book of James, chapter 3, verse 1, is that those who teach in church will have to face stricter judgment. The Bible is clear about that. But we shouldn't think that when we're talking about the qualities that elders are supposed to possess that they're qualities that the rest of the congregation can just ignore, neglect. I think that Benjamin L. Merkel put it well when he said, in fact, the qualifications for an elder are the basic characteristics that are expected of all Christians. The only exceptions are that an elder must not be a recent convert and must be able to teach. And that is why I have endeavored to preach this sermon the way that I have, because I wanted to make sure everybody knew from the outset that it's a sermon for everyone, not just for someone who has aspirations to be an elder. But we are thinking about moving to an elder-led church here at Emmanuel, and Pastor Bill is going to talk about this more next week. And what that means is that we are going to soon begin the process of selecting elders. And so I'm going to conclude my message now where I might have began it by looking at some of those qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 beginning with verse 1. And in my Bible, it has the little heading, pardon me, qualifications for overseers. And at Emmanuel, we're treating overseer and elder as identical words, just to give you a heads up. So let me read this, and then we'll pray. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. And let me make a little note there. We would be willing to consider single people as potential elders of the church. So when Paul writes to Timothy and he talks about one wife, what he means is that if you are married, you need to be a one-woman kind of guy or we're not going to consider you. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace and to the snare of the devil. So, as members of Emmanuel Baptist Church, we really encourage you all to be in prayer for us as we start looking for men who fit this description. Let's pray. Father, we praise You for giving us the life of Your Son, and we would ask that You would give us the grace to grow into the leaders that You have called us to be whether at home or at work or in the church. I pray that everyone would leave this place this morning thinking about you. I pray that we wouldn't forget you when we're doing the small things and that we would remember you when we're doing the larger things, God. We thank you that you are who you are. Have mercy on us and give us the mind of Christ that we might thank Your thoughts and judge Your judgments. We recognize You as the fountain of our being, Holy Father. We praise You and exalt You in Jesus' name. Amen.